Hi guys and girls, and thanks for joining us again today on another Team LRF podcast. And today I'm joined by IFBB Pro, Joe Brightman. Joe, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yep, all good, all good, all good. And uh, we were chatting just before uh, before we came on air, Joe, just back from Dubai? Just back from Dubai, yeah. Fresh, fresh. That, that's not a Dubai tan, though. No, this is. I think this is actually still nice and flush from earlier. Yeah. That finished yeah. me off. Yeah, for sure, man. Have you um, have you started introducing it again now? Have you? It, so it came in, it came in uh, four weeks ago, mm. um, and then obviously I went away and didn't take it with me. And I've come back and I'm like, I'm not wasting time. I'm going to go straight back in at five grams, and it's finished me off today. Yeah, I bet. Um, man. It's horrible. Yeah, but so so for Joe, those people who who uh, listen to this podcast and don't know um, who you are, don't know your competitive journey. Obviously, don't know. Obviously, a few years ago you turned pro. You had your pro debut uh, season last season. I uh, just explain briefly, sort of how long you've been competing and what you know what your competitive journey is. So I first competed when I was twenty-one, so seven years ago now. Um, very like very very amateur level. That was at like a you might as well have called it like a fitness contest at um, Body Power. It was one of them ones. Mm. Um, I was always into sport. But I never really found any, any sport I was particularly good at. Like, I didn't play at a high level with anything. And then I sort of found bodybuilding. And I think I came second in that show. And uh, I was just like, oh, I think I might be I might be all right at this. So I was, I was like, I'll do it again. I think a couple of years passed, and I did UKBFF, won that show. Um, still, like, self-coach at this point, making all the mistakes that everyone made. Um, and then I, that year, I think I won the junior junior men's physique at, in, in the Welsh show. So they, I got then invited to the Arnold's and the Diamond Cup, which was obviously pretty cool back then. Um, didn't do overly well at the Arnold's, but then the Diamond Cup went all right. I think I came like top five. And obviously at this point I was still natural and I thought everyone was because I had to sign that little waiver. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I took that as gospel, but obviously I wasn't. So when I found out, I was pretty proud. I was like, yeah, I think we, we could do something here. So I think another two years passed. And that was, a, it was at that time I was like, I think I might need to go assisted here if I want to be any good. So 2018 was my first like IFB pro qualifier. That was two bros who sort of just burst onto the scene. Um, but I went abroad and did the amateur Olympia in Spain, mm. uh, which was an amazing show, actually. I think that's where I met you, actually. I think I met yeah, you. So, yeah. um, I ended up coming second there. And that really was when I was like, oh, wow. Like, this might, I might be onto something here. Mm. Um, so I think the guy that beat me won my class, won the overall, then went on to win the pro show the next day. Yeah. So I was like, if he wasn't there, we might have been looking at a different result. Um, I didn't get my pro card that year. I think I went home, did two bros and came fifth, which I was gutted about. That was probably one of my low points. I was like, oh shit. Right, it, was, it was almost like this big peak and then all got crushed. Um, but I went back into off season and that was actually the first year that I competed the, the direct year after. And obviously I think I'd reached out to you within that, in that meantime. So, we did relatively short off season, to be fair, I'd say, and then went and then went into went into that prep, and then oh, was it four or five shows? I think it was yeah, four shows. I'm sure it was the fifth fifth one you got the card. Yeah. Yeah. So then we did all those shows, and I, I still to this day when people ask me, I think I should have won it on that first one in what? Hundred percent, mate. Hundred. I, I, I like I remember seeing that day and and just like sitting in the crowd, and I'm quite vocal in the crowd anyway, and I and, and I remember not being vocal and being like. You've won it like all day, like all day. Yeah. Yeah. I I still still like I said, still to this day, I think that was that I should have won it on that day, but I didn't even win the class. I came second. I think it was the guy that I'd actually beaten before as well. And then obviously yeah. he went into the overall and did nothing. But it was what it was. It was that was quite a special show for me, I think, because I've still to that day I've not competed on 
on UK soil. Mm. Um, and I wasn't that well known back then. So it was, but it was cool to have some people there. So yeah, that meant a lot. But then, yeah, we did that and went to Ireland. Again, that was a weird show. There was only one person in my class and he beat me. Um, and then I think we had two weeks off. Spain, Benidorm. That one really was the one where I, it was at that point that I think I knew I was going to get it if I just carried on. Um, I was saying that was like my first class win, went into the overall and came second in the overall after getting put in the middle. Mm. And it was at that point that I was like, I think we can do this. And then, uh, yeah, obviously Denmark, I think that was another two weeks later, I just went out on my own and, and we did it finally. So, yeah, I guess that, well, that's actually my amateur, <laughs> my amateur history. Yeah, yeah. Then another two years away from the stage and then went over to America to do three pro shows this year. Uh, or last year and then the best one was obviously top 10 New York which was that was always my aim I guess um, it was a weird season for me because I think the, the whole the whole experience is one that I really looked forward to and it felt like it was going to be like living my dream mm. and instead I think because of COVID I sort of went out was a bit isolated for a lot of it and ended up it wasn't really you know I almost had a bit of taste on that for the end of it um, but upon upon reflection like I said that, that was all I wanted to do top 10 first pro show and to do it in New York was cool um, so yeah, now obviously looking towards classic. Yeah. So when when you went through those days of being a natty Joe, do you think that was actually advantageous for you to go and compete as a natty to start with? Hundred percent. Like, like that would be like my number one bit of advice to like anyone who joins me as a as a client who's thinking about it. Like anyone who even asks me on Instagram or anything, like I will discourage probably ninety five percent of people to, to to take steroids. Um, like I just don't think for most people it's ever going to be a, like a worthy swap um, in terms of the risk. And I think unfortunately a lot of, I think it's getting so much better now with like the people that are putting information out and it's much more mainstream. And obviously like you say at the start, like people are openly talking about it, but mm. I think to sort of start your like anabolic journey or whatever without having done like a proper diet or competed and knowing that you even love the process first, I think is a big risk. Um, Cause I think, yeah, I mean, I would, I would hate for someone to start taking anabolics and do a prep, realise they hated it. And then, you know, worst case scenario, that all their hair falls out and they realise they can't have kids. Obviously, that's a massive oversimplification and uh, quite dramatic, but it could happen. Um, so I think at least it's worth going into that process naturally, making sure you enjoy it, making sure you're any good at it as well. I think it's quite a big one. It's quite a brutal one, but um, I think it's important to understand that because then you can sort of work out, is this worth it for me? Yeah. And, and when you decided to, to swap over to the dark side, per se, Joe, was it a, uh, a thing that you said, right, let's just do it? Or were you sort of saying, mm, I'm on MMR and I'm on RM, and then you went ahead and did it? I think for, a, I think for a probably, a, probably, probably from the start of like training, I always knew that I wasn't going to be against it if, the, if, if it, if it was going to become worth it. Um, it was funny because the guy that I sort of grew up training with, he his dad was a copper and he was like, I'm never, my dad will kill me, I'm never going to do it. Um, and I was like, all right, fair enough, I, was like, I might one day. Um, so it was always sort of in the back of my mind, I was never against the idea, but I think I just wanted to make sure it was worth it. And then, yeah, in terms of finally making that decision, it was literally a pragmatic one for me. I, I thought, I felt like I'd proved myself as a physique athlete. To, I thought I knew I was kind of good enough or could be good enough one day. But it was a very matter of fact conversation with myself like are you going to do this naturally probably not almost certainly not could you do it assisted probably um so i'll give it a go and i think you know by that point i was already dedicating my whole life to to mm. bodybuilding um, i still worked to nine to five but 
you know, I was living in London, never went out. I, did, I, I got home, I went to the gym, that was it. You know, people go for drinks after work and planning holidays for Ibiza and stuff. Like, I just wasn't doing any of that. I was just training. I was just training and, and eating. And that was kind of what I, I dedicated my life to. So, yeah. And, and rewinding back to the amateur scene, Joe, because there'll be a lot of guys who, who listen to this as amateurs. Um, you know, you, you were a good amateur. You were a very good amateur, you know. In the international shows, it was first, second, first, second, first, second. And, and I think me and you, Joe, we have a very similar mindset in the fact that we don't just want to win, we want to crush people. Like, we want to absolutely be completely undeniable every show and everything that we ever do. When, you, when you're getting seconds and when you're getting first and when you're getting, you know, even a fifth of the two bros and you're not winning, what, what's the process that goes through your mind? Are you somebody who, like, you just want to say, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to go and smash it next time? Or, or do you sometimes do feel a bit like, fuck me, is this really, me? Is this really for me? I think I probably have a bit of a strop for a bit. I remember after that two-bro show in particular, um, all, my, all my family had come, my friends had come to watch me. We had like an evening, that was like the end of my season, so we had like an evening out that night and that was all great. But the next morning, I just needed to get up and like go and be on my own for a bit. Um, I, I think I distinctly, I got on my bike and I just just cycled off for an hour or so, just like, just to sort of gather my thoughts. Um, I think the, the first thing is like coming to that realization, especially when it's the end of your season, you're like, oh, that was my last chance or my last chance for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so very much, I, I, I need to sort of gather my thoughts a bit. I think if you're in the middle of your season or at the start of it, so let's take the Watford one, for example, like thought I was really good on that day. Um, felt like a lot of promise. I think I got a bit emotional because like my family were there, mm-hmm. but it was very much for me like, well, oh, there's another one, you know, and that's going to be fine. And, and if anything, that sort of encouragement from that show, I think gives you, it gave me at least like the fire to carry on. Um, I, I don't think at any point in that, in that sort of pro card winning season was like close to breaking point. Um, but I, I just put so much pressure on myself because I think we probably had the conversation, like I said, I was still working, even then I was still working nine to five. And I, if I had not got the, the pro card at that Denmark show or, or that year, like, it's expensive. I couldn't keep affording to compete at that time. Um, and I think the pressure I put on myself was just like, you need to get this, otherwise your, your dream's kind of over. Um, so that probably during that season, there was no point where I was, you know, being like, is this for me? But I had sort of set myself a deadline, if that makes sense, in terms of like, if this doesn't happen, like I probably will have to stop because, you know, something has to take precedent at some point. How, how do you deal with that intrinsic pressure then, Joe? Oh, probably not. Probably, actually, probably quite well. I'd say. Um, I think we. I speak about this a lot, like particularly like Josh and stuff. Like when you're on Instagram and you've got all these followers and and they're all telling you you're going to win or you're good enough to win. And and if anything, it's all compliments, but it can be really hard to just keep hearing it all the time, because the bottom line is, like I always say this to everyone, you can turn up to a show and there doesn't matter whether there's 50 people better than you or one person better than you. Like if you didn't win, you didn't win. Um, and that's, that can be like a really hard pill to swallow. So I think in terms of that pressure, it's got to be about doing exactly what you have to do every single day. Um, and unfortunately in this subjective sport, it's, it sometimes does come down to what happens on the day. Um, I think once you get to that point of sort of realizing that you're good enough, you, you, you can come to terms with like, it might just be a matter of time. Um, I think there's a lot of that nowadays as well. Like I see a lot of the guys that are winning pro cards and I think they're almost made to earn their right, you know? Um, there's not many people, I don't think, that just turn up and win it first time nowadays. No. Um, 
in the amateur scene. No, for sure. And and, and even Charlotte, who, who works for Team LRF, you know, she she won the amateur Olympia, she's won the Ben Wheeler, she she's gone on and won about four or five pro qualifiers and not quite got it yet. And and again, something that I say to her is something that I was saying to you at the time, it's just a matter of time. You are that close. You just need to be in front of that judge on that day that says, I love that physique. Yeah, 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 100%. I think, I think you have to be quite honest with yourself as well. I think there's a lot of people that are probably competing a bit before their time if their goal is pro card. I think it's, it's a, this is a debate as well that I have with, with clients sometimes. The whole competing process can be quite an addictive one. And one that you, you know, you want to be up there because let's say, face it, like a lot of competitors, um, competitors are maybe PTs or, you know, online coaches as well or aspiring to be and they know it sort of helps their profile. But I think rushing that competing process is a tricky one. So I think like for Charlotte, for example, like she's, she's there, right? She's, it's, it, like you say, it's going to be just the right place at the right time at the moment. But there will be guys, I think, unfortunately, or guys and girls that maybe come in fifth and sixth, but still going back in a year's time. And I don't quite think... You know, you know, everyone else is spending time improving. So if you weren't there then, chances are you might just need a bit longer. Mm. Um, so I think having that sort of honest conversation with yourself and probably with your coach as well, yeah. I think I think a lot of that is, is really important. Some a coach who's gonna tell you, you know, you might not be there. And that's fine. Like it's a it's a it's a it's a long game, I think, competing yeah. for a lot of people. Um so yeah. Yeah, I think if you're in it for the right reasons, you understand it's a long game. You understand that you ain't going to rock up. And, you know, I was saying to someone the other day, there ain't, there ain't that many Andre Jews. Like, there really ain't that many Andre Jews. You win your first pro qualifier, win your first pro show, and you go to the Olympia and you play fifth at the Olympia. No. But that, that, that's an anomaly. But people, through probably social media, think that's the norm. And they think that's the norm when, it, when it really it's an anomaly. And, and that's why it's great to hear your journey as an amateur because that's more like the norm than what we see over social media yeah I think another person as well I think obviously you know Andre's going to get all the plaudits because he's in, in front of so many eyes like, I don't know how many millions of followers he's got now so like you say people think it's the norm but almost it's like people like Darren for example Darren Farrell who yeah. like over the last year or two years has, has absolutely transformed like on another level um, and that is just purely down to him just never he just doesn't want to give up um, mm -hmm. he, he like he, he's absolutely in love with the process um, and I think, I don't think he would, he would mind me saying this, but I think his, his pro card winning physique, probably in most shows, probably wouldn't win that pro card, but he's just qualified for the Olympia and he absolutely deserves to. Um, I saw him out there last week in, in Dubai and I just, he's, he's blown me away with his progress over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, it's like that journey needs the, 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 the light, the light shining on it a bit more, I think. Yeah, for sure. You know, he, and the thing is our coach, Darren, when he was over here in the UK, he was, he was one of my boys and, he, um, he was very good friends with a guy called Ben, who, who was far superior in terms of genetics, in terms of structure. Ben was getting the top places at the British finals. When you know, like the UK BFF, then there was like 40 guys in a class, 50 guys in a class. And he was coming like top two and top three. And Darren was in an all to getting last call out. But he came off stage and he was like, I loved it. I loved it. And sometimes that's, that's a different perspective, isn't it? You know, where you get last call out, but, you know, you're like, you know what, I fucking love that. And those are the guys that you know are going to stay in the sport for a long time. And, yeah, like you say, it's going to the Olympia. Yeah, exactly. I think that's like, like you say, in terms of people looking for a normal journey, I think don't be looking at probably, the, you know, look at them for inspiration and stuff. But like you say, it's, that's, that's one in a million um, yeah. to do that well that quickly. I think it's, it's important to put a bit of respect on, like, journey like like Darren's for example and he's a perfect example of like 
showing what can be done if you just like dedicate some some time to it because it's incredible really yeah and and you touched on a couple of times Jody, you were actually working like when we were working together you were working a nine to five like and 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 it, and it weren't a low profile nine to five you know it's a john lewis you're, you're busy a lot of the times you were doing overtime or turning up early and staying late like how did you tackle that fact that you were running a corporate job with wanting to be the best bodybuilder that you could be uh, I, I give the same answers every time people ask me. I, I think it's probably boring, but it's like people need to hear it. It's just, it all just comes down to preparation. Um, and once again, like it just comes down to that complete dedication to like a process. Um, as I said, like I, I, I was working that job and there was, there was just no chance that I was ever doing anything after work other than going to the gym. Um, and when it came down to prep, I always think when you're, when you're backed against the wall in a situation like that, I'm, definitely I perform almost better I think so I think you'll hear loads of people talk about this particularly coaches like they go on to prep and they feel like they get more done even though they're low on energy and, and low on mood and stuff and I think it's because you've got so many things on your list to tick off that you have no choice but to get them done so you know my, my, my day when we were doing that would look like probably get up at half five six maybe five forty five I would take my bag and my food that was already made from the night before you know uh, go to the gym that was near work do my cardio, uh, which was, I think at one point it was up to like 45 minutes or an hour, maybe some abs if I could fit in. And then I'd go to the change room, get changed into my work stuff that I'd obviously pack, like I said, get to work, work that day. I was, I was probably quite lucky in that it was a job that allowed me to eat. You know, there was no, there's never anyone, unless I had a meeting, there was never anyone telling me you, you can't go and eat that. Like yeah. I was able to do that, which was, which was great. But, you know, it was, it would be, work throughout the morning or probably fast for a lot of the morning because food wasn't that high. Eat at lunch, go out for a walk because I needed steps to get in, you know, and then finish work. It would be going back to that gym that I went to in the morning to train. And then I'd get the train home. I think I'd, I think I'd get home at probably between 8 and 8.30 <laughs> every night and then do it all again and then be in bed for 10 p.m. again. So it was very much just about having each bit of my day planned out and making sure that I knew what I needed to do to get the next day done. Um, and almost, I think the perfect example of that is like at the weekend, you almost feel a bit lost mm. without that, without that, those hours of nine to five thirty, or I think it ended up being more like eight to five for me. It was like filling the days is a bit, almost a bit like, you know, I have a, maybe a different meal at a different time first thing. And suddenly I'm a bit like, oh, that's weird. Um, so yeah, I think like it, it all comes down to preparation. Um, and I'll hand on heart say that I probably had one hour of free time you know that whole day for however many months I was I was competing for and that was fine because the worst thing I, I couldn't think of anything worse than not getting that pro card that year mm. um you know <laughs> I wasn't up at night because I was so exhausted but if there was one thing that wasn't going to keep me up at night it would have been the you know the thought of not ending that season with that card because at that point for me that would have been it with competing yeah. or at least I, I said it myself it would mm. so yeah and and since then Joe you swapped over to to full-time coaching and and, you know, I've been lucky enough to follow your journey from, like, the, the Amateur Olympia a couple of years ago. Well, not even quite. It's got to be... That Amateur Olympia's got to be four years ago now, hasn't it? Yeah, 2018, yeah. Probably, yeah, just just over probably three and a half. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been lucky enough to follow your journey since then and, and see everything. And, you know, I remember speaking to you when you were coming down to LRF and saying, like, you know, what are you doing for work? And, you know, we, the, the conversation and, and the gist was there. And, but it was never really a proper conversation. It was more like blasé. And then... You know, I, I know obviously you built things up during lockdown and then you went into your own coaching business now, which by the sounds of it, from what, you know, I watch your YouTube channel, is going very well. You've got somebody working under you. Moving from that corporate into 
into your, your own employed status. How did that affect training, dieting and stuff like that? Has it made it better? Has it made it, you know, have you taken your habits from corporate and gone and taken them to like a coaching role as well? I'd say first, like when I first made that change, I was probably, like I just said there about the weekends, I was probably just a bit lost. Um, and it wasn't until someone said to me, like, you're going to need to like block your diary out or block your calendar out like you used to do at work or whatever. So you know what you're doing at certain times of day. Um, I will be the first to admit I'm not a very organized person. I've tried, like, I've tried to be and I'm just not. You know how some, you know, some people will tell you this is the way to do things. Sometimes it, for you, you just have to find a, a slightly different way. So I would say initially I was, I was a bit lost. You know, it's a case of like, getting my work done when I could, training probably when I could. And, and that might mean sometimes I might train at 11, sometimes I might train at four, um, which isn't great. I don't think, like, I think having that routine and, you know, the same or at least move a bit of flex maybe in the day is probably the best way to set yourself up. Um, but I'd say that as soon as I started working out, when when do I like working? Um, when do I like training? Basically setting my day up to make it as easy for myself to succeed as possible. I think that's something I've been probably quite good at. I recently read that Atomic Habits book yeah. and I was reading through it and just nodding because it was like, these are things that I knew I had already done. You know, I took a lot from that time with John Lewis and I brought it into... I wouldn't say I brought too much of it, but it's like transferable skills. It's um, it's that ability to st start working out. So I like working. I think I'm quite like you. Like I like working first thing. I like to get up, not eating, just have a coffee and like try and work as much as I can in that first sort of three, four hours of the day before people are up, you know, clients are messaging me. Maybe there's more to look at on Instagram. Um, so I like, yeah, I like work, getting up doing as much work as possible. And then, yeah, I guess my day largely revolves around training. So I'll try and train after a couple of meals. So anywhere between sort of 10 and two. Um, and then I come back do a bit more work, which probably isn't quite as productive as I'd like. So I'll try to get the heavy stuff done in the morning. And then I normally try and have a, an hour or two to chill out before bed. But that that's a weird one. I remember thinking when I, because um, like you say, I, I sort of built it up in lockdown and I was doing that alongside my nine to five. Yeah. And I remember thinking, God, I'm going to have so much time. And it was just the, the total opposite. Um, someone said to me the other week, they said, you, you will take as long as you have to get a task done. And never, I, I feel like that's such a true, like such a true saying. It kind of plays into that prep thing. When you've got so much to do, you have to get it done. You find a way. When you've got all this time, you, you almost fill that time with, with stuff, mm. um, which is definitely something I need to improve on. A couple of books, Joe, that I, I, I really like that, that might work for you is uh, Routine Equals Results by a guy called Rob Moore. Really, really good book. Um, and also, and you know, you said there about the, um, uh, it will only take you as long to get a cast down as what you have. There, there's a great quote in the four-hour work week. I don't know if you've ever read that book. We, I've got that. I've not read it yet. It, 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 it's, it's a good book. Like, it is a good book, but it, it almost gives a, a false representation of how much you have to work. Um, I've heard but, but he, he, he says, if I gave you 20 tasks to do in two days, how long would it take you to do 20 tasks? Two days. Yeah. If I gave you 20 tasks to do in two hours, how long would it take you to do 20 tasks? Two hours. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah, it, it is definitely, that, that, that just made me think of the four hour work week, that little saying there, because that's sort of what he drums into you as well during that, during that book. But it's a good book though, to be fair. Yeah, I've got, I've got it. I'll, um, I'll get through it. That's another thing though, like, you know, the whole, you know, you get this entrepreneurial stuff like forced on you and, reading that doesn't really do it for me that much like I almost have to force myself a bit to read now it's one of the things I've month after month said you've got to get better at this and I wrote it down on my thing today read 10 pages yeah, yeah. Um, and I still I still struggle with it um, have you read 10 pages yet no I'm gonna, I'll do it when I get in bed I think <laughs>
You know what, Joe? Like one of one of the one of the reasons that I was going to bring you on this podcast is because of what you've developed in terms of a coaching system and process in in the time that you've done it is incredible. Like, and I'm not just talking about number of clients, like because I know you grafted at that, and I'm, I want, and I want to talk about social media in a bit because from the shift of working with you to where you're at now, like I see your I see your social media the full time job, like how active you are on it, how with your YouTube channel, with your clients and stuff like that. Like I see that social media side of things almost as like your full-time job as well. But one of the things that you taught me, Joe, which, which I, actually I don't think I've ever said publicly, I might have said it to you, but I've never said publicly, was that when when you left Team LRF and you went to Cal and and, and I saw some of the things that Cal was doing with you and, and I was always very confident and I still am very confident in my coaching ability, but I, I was never confident in the like the technical aspect in terms of right I see that you're doing all these sheets and these processes and I'm like like I, I'll be honest to start with I was like I don't need that I don't need that side of things I'm a good coach I know what I'm doing I can get people in shape I'm winning shows I don't need that and as I see you start talking about it I don't know if you remember I actually dropped you a message and I said can you tell me what the difference is because again I don't think and, and, I'm not, and I don't want to do anyone a disservice here. I don't think there is much difference in the way that people coach in terms of coaching ability, get people in shape. But what I do see a difference in now is people like yourselves taking the coaching game to another level where everything's covered, everything's like automated. And that's why I asked you whether you took some things from the corporate into your coaching. Mm -hmm. Because I've, I've seen you guys like revolutionize the coaching industry. And that, that is, you know, that's no feat, like, um, like, like that that's incredible in, in the time that you've been involved in it. When you look at coaching, Joe, do you look at it like, like a business? Yeah, I think I got you. Now, now that you say that in terms of what I took from, from like John Lewis into how I've done a business, I think, forget the routine and stuff, but in terms of like what, what I deliver as a coach, the thing that I was noticing about coaching by and large is just like a, like the presentation and the professionalism of, of, a, of a business. Obviously I'd come from John Lewis whereby to send out an email to however many millions of people is on their email list. There can't be any mistakes. It has to look nice. The process goes through sign off after sign off after sign off. There's no spelling mistakes. There's no nothing. So it has to be perfect or as perfect as possible. And I guess that was drilled into me because of the department I worked in. And I probably, I guess that is really in terms of like a soft skill, remember hard skill, a hard skill, what I might have taken into coaching. Um, in terms of stuff that I learned, like the automation of like spreadsheets and stuff, I'm, never, I'm not that great at like spreadsheets, but what I did notice is that I was a lot better than a lot of the coaches stuff that I was putting that I was seeing. So I guess what I tried to bring to coaching was like, yeah, like a professionalism and a, and a like the, a bit of fluff like around just to like providing a service that looks nice. Because um, I think from, from my perspective, like I like things to look nice. I like my clothes, I like stuff like this and that. So I kind of wanted to, you know, spin that onto coaching and, and make sure that customers would, pay me a, a fee and then receive their stuff and be like, oh, wow, like that looks great. I've not seen that before and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I guess I guess I did take a lot more from it than, than probably I just gave it credit for in the last answer. Um, but I think that, yeah, the, the, the service levels and stuff are definitely on another level. I know we had that conversation about like Loom, for example, um, or I think it was Screencast back then. Screencast, I'm, I'm yeah, the, yeah. Move, move over to Loom, but I think there's... Where the, where the market has become quite saturated, I know it's not completely saturated because you can still, people can still succeed in it, but there's definitely a gap still for 
like a nice looking service and combining that with an actual good coach. So, you know, what you said there, and I think I talk about this quite often on, on social media is like, I think people are kind of missing a bit of a trick in terms of like at the, at the, at the absolute core of it, you need to be a good coach. Mm. Layer on top of that presentation, lay on top of that marketing and, you know, and, and then like sort of a continuous hunger to learn. And then you're probably going to be pretty good and you might, well, and on, and on top of that, an audience, you might be able to turn over some good numbers. Um, but without, without some of them components, I think you are like, you do end up selling yourself short. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely. That, that, that I just think is the, the, the sort of evolution of, of, of the, you know, of, the, of a service and of a, an industry, I guess. Mm. Sure. And, and, and in terms of a social media aspect, Joe, when, when, when you're on social media, I know, I know you're still very authentic. Like I watch your story today. You're still very authentic. Do you look at social media as part of your business? Yeah, it absolutely 100% is. Um, I think what I've, what I've probably done well, and I think this is risky for some people because it just kind of depends how you're wired. Like I look at Tom, for example. So obviously I spend loads of time with Tom. Absolutely like polarizing character. Like a lot of people either love him or they hate him. I think I'm pretty liberal in terms of like, I would like to think that not many people hate me for what I say, but I'm quite open about how I'm feeling and stuff. Like it's what you said today. So when I was looking back at, um, I watched my story back from last night when I was talking about like the flight and stuff. And in my head, I was like, oh, should you have said that you upgraded to business? And, and should you have, you know, because like there's a lot of stuff where people start to get a bit pissed off. And I keep I keep a lot of things quite private. That I think is kind of um, maybe not necessarily everyone's business in terms of like maybe what I'm doing with my money, because at the end of the day, it's mine. Because I've been bitten in the ass before. Like people have messaged me and had a go at me. And I'm a bit like, not really your place to say, but I understand, you know, Um so yeah, I would say it's absolutely a part of my business. I think it is just like an extension of me more than anything. Um, and I, I think that's done more, more good than bad for my business. Cause I think something I've always understood is that by and large people invest in like you as a person. Um, I think people have invested in me because they, I get a lot of people that inquire and I, I have like a box, like why have you inquired for Team Brighton? And a lot of them just say like, oh, I just liked you as a character or I see that you're putting out good information and I feel like I click with you before I've even spoken to them. Um, so I definitely think like being, <laughs> you do have to watch what you say, but being as open as possible and probably just a, an honest representation of who you are as a person alongside a bit of business acumen and a good service is probably the way to go. Um, definitely from my experience. Yeah, man. And you, you know, I, I still have that conversation with, with people all the time about actually how much people put out, like, because, Someone like Jace, obviously, most people know who Jace is. Like, me and Jace are polar opposites. Like, he is somebody who has nice cars, has nice watches, has, has nice things. I, I, I don't own a single piece of jewellery. Like, I only wear complete strength on LRF. Like, you know, half the time I've cut down my jogging bottoms to wear them as shorts. Like, you know, like, and I don't have that nice thing. But he has an audience which are attracted to that, you know, that nicety that I, I want to almost look like you. And I think... You, you've capitalised that on very well, plus the fact that you have now shown not, not only that you're a good coach, but your service is, you know, from what I've seen, impeccable. Mm. Yeah, so... Yeah. It's, uh, the, the last videographer I worked with has probably been one of the, like, a big influence on sort of how I've looked at my business and, and content. And he, he, put me, he puts you in that, like, aspirational bracket. It's people, you look at, like, people like Mike Thurston, 
like they're just a person that people want to be and therefore they're kind of interested in that content which i always find is a bit of a weird like dynamic i think probably what i do is maybe look at people that i you know admire in a certain way and try and pull something from that rather than like oh i want to be that but i understand how it's like attractive to look at and at the end of the day people just want to know what you're doing people want to know what car you're driving and it's it's a weird it's like it's a weird world but it's definitely one to sort of be capitalized on if that's what you want to do like you say in terms of like jace for example something i noticed about him is just his like absolute relentlessness in terms of putting content out i think i went on his <laughs> i think i went on his page the other day and he'd done four posts in a day and i was just like oh my god yeah. um i think there's a lesson in that in terms of like maybe not necessarily being so polished with everything because you know some people will they're not too worried about how their feed looks like jace is a lot of like might be one of him and then four of his clients and then maybe a lift and stuff like that. Whereas people can be a bit more calculated with it and that almost holds you back, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Again, one of the things with Jace is that he can rely on hundreds of results. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I've been working with him since 2016. I say it's probably six years worth of results. But other guys, they don't have that. They don't have that. And and, and again, when I noticed that you were coming up in the game is that you, you understood, and I think you bought into the fact that I haven't got 55 transformations back here that I can use. But what I can show you is service. I can show you value. I can show you systems. I can show you processes. Um, and and that, was, that was great to watch. And I said, like, I always drop you the odd message and say, mate, this is wicked. Like, this is nice. This is good. Like, you know, we still communicate occasionally on socials and stuff, like when you're competing and that. But from, a, from an outsider's point of looking in, I, I was looking and thinking, this, this guy is going to do well because... He knows what he's got and he's working towards that. And, and to see you succeed now in that is fantastic. So, yeah, man, like, all, all credit to yourself man, because you've done that off your own back. Nowadays, people employ me and they say, Rob, help me get to 50 clients. I've got nothing. But you got to that bracket without any help, mm-hmm. without any sort of guidance. Um, so, yeah, man, like, like, like fair play, man. Like you, over the last couple of years, mate, like not only physically, but in business wise, like it's been it's been great to see, man, and great to watch. I appreciate it because I think a lot of things, a lot of the time I, I struggle to look back. Mm. Um, that's something that I definitely think I need to get better at. It's just like reflecting at what's happened. Because if, like you say, if I think about it, two years ago, I was stuck at John Lewis on mm. what, you know, what I thought was, you know, hopefully going towards a good salary. And now it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a different world. And <laughs> even so, I think the irony is that I'm still not quite happy with it, which I think is probably part and parcel of, of how it goes. But yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I think in terms of, you know me not taking any help it's not obviously entirely true like I think in terms of like getting a coach like especially you were the first person I fully employed and so to take that knowledge and and information from yourself in terms of like okay this guy's turned a lot of people pro let me just go to him and and see what I can get out of that and then obviously moving to Cal just a different perspective and I think a lot of people I think it's almost quite important for people to do that in terms of taking different perspectives because I learned a lot from you and I learned a lot from Cal in terms of prepping people. Like I, I would have almost used your methodology to prep people between that. And then I've used some of yours and some of Cal's and it's like picking from different people, you know, the, the parts that you maybe want to emulate more than, more than others. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You know what, mate, it, it's, it, it's a lot of the time being humble enough to say that and look at that as well. And as I said, even like, again, I remember dropping you that message and saying, mate, like, what is this guy doing that is so good? Like, because at the time as well, when I think when you joined the, the, those guys, they weren't as big as what they were now. Yeah. But what I could see from them is a system and process that I didn't have. And, and as I said, like I always, I, like 
I always believed that if, you, if you're going to do something, try and be the best at it. And I looked at that and I thought, at the time, as I said, like a couple of years ago, you'll know me, Joe, I was a cocky geezer who was like, you know what, I'm going to fucking smoke everybody. And then I had to take a little bit of a step back and say, right, this guy's doing well, tell me how to do that. And, and I still, again, I still see that in your process. I still see that in your system. I still see the fact that you want to get better. And like I said at the start, you... I know you have a mindset of not only winning, but fucking going beyond winning and smashing people and smoking people. But yeah, as I said, like in terms of what you've been doing, man, it's been great. But yeah, to, to move on, Joe, I, I want to talk about the, the changeover to classic. Um, obviously, I, I, I've seen your physique again develop over the years. It, um, I think prior to your surgery, it's definitely the biggest and leanest I've seen you. What was your 120 plus? Um, yeah. sharp. I don't know what was going on there, honestly. <clears throat> yeah, pretty, but still pretty sharp at 120 plus as well. Yeah, it was, that was that like blow up period, sort of pre pre surgery. Um, I I watched my physique transform from sort of being out in America to then coming home, obviously dropping to a cruise. And like I couldn't I couldn't quite believe what was like unfolding in front of my eyes. I remember sending Cal pictures maybe two weeks after I got home training, and like I looked better then than I did. You know, I wasn't stage lean, but I looked ten times better. Like my back had filled out. I think uh, there was a point whereby. There was a point I was out in America actually, and I remember kept keep looking at my abs and thinking, "Why am I so washed out?" And uh, and I, I had to look back at some pictures of when me and you competed. I actually looked back at that one um, from the from the island show when I've got like this perfect like six pack abs, and I was like, "I have got abs." I was like, "Where have they gone?" Um, so I had to sort of use that to look back on and, and remind myself like you like you have got you have kind of got what it takes. So a lot, I think I lost a lot of probably faith in myself whilst I was away, but. Yeah, when we got back, um, I think just a, a, a colossal drop in stress, mm. uh, a colossal change in in sort of environment, um, and then obviously, yeah, once once sort of health was in a good place, we just started pushing again. And in terms of getting back up to that one twenty, it was a lot of food. It was pretty low drugs because of obviously we didn't want to make the gyno any potentially any worse in that eight week period. Um, and it's the first time I'd used like insulin, um, which I think now, again, weirdly enough, as we watch this sort of drug landscape or PEDS landscape change, we're now becoming more and more aware that actually, I remember, I, I don't know if I would have, ever would have said to you, but I definitely said to myself, there's no way I'm ever going to need insulin. No chance. I will never need that drug. That's for super heavyweights. And now, actually, I think the information is more so that, you know, if you're pushing this really high food, it actually might be pretty good for you. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the stress in your pancreas and in terms of utilizing the food that you're putting in at the end of the day. So um, I'm sure that's got something to do with it in terms of like those quite like full blown pictures. But um, yeah, that was a, that was, a, that was a really, that was a physique that I was def definitely enjoying. <laughs> yeah. And, and that look, Joe, is that what gave you the confidence to say, I want to do classic? I think I've always, I think I've always had the, like the, the confidence or like a, I'll tell you I'll tell you what the decision came down to I think I I went out and I did those shows this year and you've obviously been out to some to some US shows and I don't know what your thought process has been but I remember just looking at the depth of men's physique mm. and being a bit almost uh like feeling a bit like delusional about about what I was doing here um I felt probably it was a weird one mate because I looked to my left and my right, particularly in that New York pro show, and I stood next to what who went on to become the second best in the world this year, that Aaron Banks guy. And there's no difference in our size at all. In fact, in fact I think in some of the poses, I almost looked bigger, and bigger than, than him from the front. From the back, though, we just had this 
alien-like, you know, alien-like back. Um, and just a pop and just everything all came together. And I think I was just like, I kind of had a realisation. I was like, I'm not sure what more I can do here to become at that level in terms of men's physique. Um, there was, you know, there's poses in men's physique where I think you're quite weak. And there's poses in classic that I do that honestly, I look at myself and I'm like, well, you look like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, so like the front double, for example, like I just think that's one of the best shots I ever do. And that's why throughout all prep, it's all I'm ever really posting. So I feel like it would be a disservice to myself if I, if I sort of didn't go to classic. Um, another you know, one. Who, you know who reminds me when, when you talk about the American guys and, and he's only just got it right this year is Emil Walker. Mm. He, he reminds me of those American looks, but he's only really turned it on this year. And he's been rewarded for that massively. But that, like, when when I used to go to those American shows, like, these guys would turn to the rear, and, and it's almost like their lats would hang from their hips, yeah. you know, and, and they're coming in so low and they're so deep in that shot. And like you say, I'll be honest, when you look at the front shot, everyone's very similar. Everyone's very similar. But when they turn to the rear, it's not just the guys from the States, it's the guys you know, that, um, that are, are really, really good. You just see these lats that just hang, like, like everyone's got high green lats. You know what I mean? They're just hanging from the bottom. And yeah, and, and like you say, like with some of your classic shots, even like your back double bicep, mate, like, like your symmetry on that shot is fantastic. Uh, you know, you've got good arms as well, which make a massive difference in that shot. You've got good shoulders from men's physique. It's obviously then just bringing up them wheels, um, which, which I know for you are not bad anyway. Yeah, I think like I said, it was, it was, a, it was a combination of, I sort of got back home, felt probably a bit bitter from... Obviously, I, I was really excited after that first show. The second, the third one didn't go so well. But I think even if I was at my best, I'm not sure I would have stood close to many of them. Mm. Um, I also saw a different side to men's physique out there, which was like the posing and stuff. Like they really go for it out yeah. there in particular. And that's not really me. Um, I kind of got a bit sort of uncomfortable with it. I remember like my mum and dad would be watching the video live stream back and be like, you need to come out and like, you know, do a bit more. And I'm like, oh, it's just not me. You know, all the twisting and turning and the, the showmanship, like fair play to them. Um, but I would definitely be, you know, in classic, one of those guys who just, like, I just want to come out and just hit the shots and and that be enough, do you know what I mean? To, to yeah. for people's jaws just to drop. Um, so yeah, I guess it was a combination of sort of maybe falling out of love with physique a bit. Also, you know, competing as a time limit for me. I don't know how many more years I've got left in me and like, I want to make sure that I give, give classic a good shot. Um, and yeah, in terms of like what I need to improve on, it's definitely, I think my, I think my quads are all right. I think my hamstrings need probably a, a good another block of off season before they're any good. And even then they might not be, but we'll see. But yeah, in terms of the upper body, I, I feel quite confident. Um, mm. A lot of the time I, I speak to Josh about it and it's something I agree with. I think with classic, you kind of have it or you don't. Yeah. Um, and, and it's one of them ones where I think I've got the shape. It's just whether I can hang with people in terms of size, but um, based on, these sort of Olympia placings. If you look at that young Polish guy, that miracle bear, I don't think he's a big guy, but he's, you know, his shape is carrying him all the way to the top. So we'll see. We'll see. Sure. And I know you touched on the showings out in the US, uh, Joe. And again, I, again, always followed your journey. You always drop me a couple of messages before those shows. <coughs> could, could you talk us through those last few hours, man? Because I, I see you, mate, and I see you 12 hours out. I see you a day out and I think this guy is peeled. Like this guy is nasty shredded. Like, inside out and I know obviously pictures never do anyone justice but I know you openly said you you know you missed your mark um you know tell us about that in terms of the feelings the emotions and then going on stage thinking 
I'm not quite where I was, you know, 12 hours ago. Yeah, I think, I think for, it was a weird one because the, for the New York Pro, I think probably on, on reflection, that probably was my, my best physique. Um, I think, unfortunately, my tan wasn't quite dark enough. And if it was a bit darker, I might, maybe might have done a little better. I don't want to put it down to that, but I would, I think as any athlete would say, other than maybe like Jimmy Tonk, <laughs> I would always like to be a bit leaner um, on stage. I think there's just always more to come off than you think. And I think I'll learn that this year because obviously I'll have to be absolutely skinned out. So we'll see about that. But yeah, I think New York Pro, obviously, I think it was probably my best showing. Um, like I said, I would, would like to be a bit darker. Weirdly enough, probably six hours out of that show, I messaged Cal panicking, saying I look like shit. Um, <laughs> and he was like, relax, you just, you've, got, you've got low blood pressure. Like once you get some salt in there and start pumping up, you'll be fine. And lo and behold, like I was. Um, I think that was a big boost for me. So I, I remember literally seeing myself come to life backstage and I was excited to get up there. I really was. Um, so that was cool. And then, yeah, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, I think we tried to come in a bit tighter and instead just ended up looking a bit flat. I look back at those photos and I think you, you might have looked a bit leaner, but you, the, the skin wasn't tight. Um, and I don't know if it was a, a combination at that point of, not sure what it was really. I think, I think probably like say either not quite full enough or again, just maybe still not quite as lean as I needed to be. Um, and then, I mean, to be fair, that show just knocked, I think that knocked me mentally. And I think I've learned, if anything, this year, like the impact of stress and like, not feeling comfortable is just like massive, um, absolutely massive. Because, you know, after that show, I felt like I've been hit by a ton of bricks because um, I've gone from this high of New York Pro. And then I sort of, in my head, I was like, oh, Milwaukee's like a smaller show. I might maybe do even better. And then instead it was like third call-outs. Um, which I think was probably probably fair, um, but just that just knocked me. And then I went into Miami, um, and that's probably the weirdest one of the lot. But I remember I've said this openly a few times. I remember I literally I called my mum. I think I called my dad, or they called me. I, I had to g myself up to even go and do that show. I remember driving from my Airbnb to the to the venue and like having a bit of a pep talk with myself to like say like pull yourself together, like you're about to get on stage. I just didn't want to be there, um, and that was pretty crushing for me because I was like, oh. Is this, like, is this the end for me in terms of like, if you're not even enjoying getting on stage, like what are you doing it all for? Um, so that was that was a like, pretty harsh realization, but I think it just has to come down to the stress. Um, I remember the, the the change between maybe two days out of Miami and then the show pictures. I don't even think I've even posted the show pictures from Miami mate, because I look like, they're probably the, like, I don't even look like I deserve to be on amateur stage. They're awful. Um, I was embarrassed by him, so embarrassed. So that was a weird one, but I think just, a combination of stress and potentially I remember speaking to Cal just before that show um it's quite an interesting insight actually I remember saying actually I was like Cal when I used to peak with Rob we used to eat we used to sort of eat up into the show and like, like look at these pictures like quite clearly it worked I think the I think the mindset's changed now and I think probably even yours has in terms of like peaking people as well um and he was like in his head he said I knew what I knew what Joe was saying was wrong but I needed to I wanted to see if I could help him enjoy the process a bit more so he, he, he like fed me up into that show and I just ended up looking, like I looked the worst <laughs> out of all of them. So um, yeah, that was a shocker, but it was a weird one. Mate. It really was a strange experience. I think. It's so funny, man. Like, it, like obviously not ha-ha funny. Like, I mean, it, it's so funny in the fact that one thing that would have worked for you two years ago just, just doesn't work anymore now. Like, and, and that is, like you say, it's circumstance, it's stress. It's all these factors that people just don't consider. Yeah. Um, and, and as an amateur, you think, 
we'll just do the same thing. We'll just, we'll just do the same thing when I become a pro. I'll just do the same thing. But when you've got more tissue than what you've ever had before, when you're in a foreign country, when you're probably not enjoying it as much, when you're like, you know what, like, I'm just going to just gonna do something that I thought worked, and it just doesn't work. Like, you know, from prep to prep, show to show, year to year, like, things change so much, so much. And, yeah, that, that's a prime example there. It is, I just, it's fascinating. So I remember, I remember going through that whole process, and I, I remember comparing how I felt on, you know, at certain times when we were peaking versus how I was feeling this year. And I remember, I remember on the days when I think it was probably in Spain in particular, I still think that's probably one of my best shows ever. <laughs> it's like waking up on that day and texting you and being like, we're fucking on here. Like this is the, just remember waking up feeling full and shredded and just like ready to go. Um, and even then I think we, we carried on eating, which even now logically I'm like, that wasn't, Probably there wasn't the right thing to do. I'm sure you're not like feeding your athletes right up until they get on stage anymore now because you probably didn't tell me to do it by then, but like, you know, two, three hours out, that food's just going to sit in your stomach. Mm. You're not realistically metabolizing that. It's not realistically making you feel any fuller. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, I was waking up feeling absolutely on point. So I remember sort of being like, what's, what's changed? Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a real weird one, mate. And I think that's the kind of the one of the pitfalls of bodybuilding is it, a lot of it just comes down to like it's a bit of guesswork isn't it we don't have any studies on peaking athletes really yeah um, the, the only just, reason so, so to, to be honest i still do use that method joe like i still do use that method and not for a physical standpoint but for a mental standpoint like yeah. i know that to be honest that the hard work's done you know, when you wake up on the day of the show the only thing you can really do is fuck it up if you look great and I use that from a mental standpoint to say, you know what, you've kept feeding into the show. If I all of a sudden take your food away now, you won't get flat, but in your mind, you'll be like, I'm flat. Yeah. I'm flat. And what's that going to do? It's going to send cortisol levels up through the roof. And then that's going to make you look worse. So I do it in terms of a, a mental standpoint to say, listen, like I know that we, you know, we can eat veggies and chicken or we could do something like that with some fats, keep you nice and dry, or we can just continue to do what we do, which you know works. And then you don't stress. You're like, no, cool, I'm good. Yep, yeah, my chicken and rice good, good to go again. So in terms of like in terms of a process, I still do a very very similar thing. Just that, again, it's more from I know that you're going to mentally feel absolutely fine. You're physically not really going to change much on, in those few hours. Um, but I know that you'll go on stage and you'll feel like, oh well, I'm full. I've had all these carbs today. I feel good. I feel good. And then you get on stage and you know you do this pump up, which which changes you a little bit, but not massively. But you feel like shit. I'm, I'm as full as a house now because I've had all these carbs and stuff like that. So from a, from a standpoint, from me, I always try and look at right. Is is it going to make a difference? No, not really. Is it physically? No, not really. Is it mentally going to make a difference? Yeah, it, it probably could do. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a really good point. I think I think it's um, you, you, you can kind of look at all the studies in the world, and but then there's no one that's tested this to someone who is in such a high stress environment and someone who you know. No one in a no one in a lab test is about to do something that literally means the world to them. Do you know what I mean? So, one little spike in cortisol, like you say, and suddenly you think you're flat, or you think you're this, and you think you're that, and and it all just goes to shit. Um, it's it's yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point. I think even going back to that, and I remember I remember saying, I remember sort of messaging you in Spain on the way, and you were saying, don't eat too much, like you know, maybe like half a muffin, like relax. Um, so yeah, it, it it makes a lot of sense in terms of the mental thing. And, and and I know you you managed to get an invite to the Arnold's last year, Joe, um, which is obviously would have been, a, you know, it was a fucking huge production, huge show. 
Was that difficult for you to turn down? It was really, it was really, really hard. Um, it was more hard on the day when I was there, sat in the audience, looking up at this show and just thinking, this is the best bodybuilding show I've ever seen mm. in my life. Um, you know, I've not been to Olympia, I've not been to any, but I, I, you know, after being to like New York Pro and some of these US shows, and then coming back and seeing that on home soil and just thinking, fuck, what a show. Um, it was really hard and that was like a bit of people to swallow on the day. But I think in terms of like my rational mind thinking, I just, I just didn't, I don't think I had a choice. Um, I, I got, I got back home, obviously I'd already done prep for, what was it? Four or five months. So you can imagine blood work, probably not in a great place. I'd spent that last week, um, as a bit of a like downtime as well. Cause I'd, I was so stressed after that Miami show and yet I had sort of four or five days left. I was like, why don't you just go and sort of enjoy yourself a bit? And obviously I, that meant just loads of food because I was on my own <laughs> in Miami. So what else would you do? Um, so I just sort of ate myself into a bit of a coma every day and sat there thinking, what the fuck are you doing? But I had nothing else to do. So that was kind of it. And then I, I tried to, this is such terrible advice. No one listens to this, but I tried to walk off all that food every day. So I was ended up doing 20,000 steps when obviously your body's absolutely battered anyway. Um, and I got home. I don't know whether it's to do with a flight or what, but I was holding a lot of water. I think I ended up having like a cyst in the back of my knee. And I spent the first three or four days at home just laying on the sofa with my leg up. Um, so I couldn't even move. So when that Arnold's invite came through for sort of maybe four, I don't know, what, when was it? June? Yeah, four months out. I was like, well, I have to start prepping a couple of weeks again. And I just I just wasn't in, a, in the space to even, you know, consider doing it. Um, I think if, I might, if I'd have found that a bit earlier, I might have reconsidered, um, but I, I almost, I'd almost let go of the, I didn't think I was going to get the invite and then it, it sort of came through. Um, Ian, Ian was being quite coy about it. And then I, yeah, sort of, I got it when I got home and I was a bit like, oh fuck. And I did have a think, cause I think the day before I'd said to my mum and dad that I'm going to stop my prep now. Um, and then, then I got that through and I was like, oh, this is tough. But yeah, the, the, the real tough moment was being there and watching it. Cause it was, it was mind blowing. Mm. Did like, I obviously, from a trained agile, I can obviously see that, um, to be honest, not on all your shots, but on a couple of your shots, there, there was a little bit of gyno. Did any of the judges ever say to you, you didn't place as high because of that? Um, I'll tell you what, I only got feedback from the New York Pro Show, and I'm pretty sure they just told me to come in a bit tighter, and there was no mention of, of gyno. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed it on the Milwaukee Show, I definitely noticed it on some of the shots there. Um, and then again, probably a bit more on the Miami ones. But like I said, I, I think I asked for feedback from Milwaukee and never got it. And then Miami, I just didn't even bother because I'm, I'm done now. Um, I think a lot of, on social media in particular, I think a lot of people didn't even notice it. I obviously noticed it a lot. And obviously I only posted the shots where I didn't, you know, where I couldn't really see it. I never edited it out or, or, or blurred it, but I would... If I saw a shot and I was like, you can see your gyno, then I'm not posting that shot. Do you know what I mean? Um, not because I was wanting to hide it, because it doesn't look nice. No. Um, I think I was already, I was always quite open with the fact that I was going to have to get it done and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I never got marked down for it as far as I'm aware. Um, but I think you would. I yeah. think you would if it was, if it was, if it was slightly worse. Um, and I've seen some real bad, <laughs> some real bad gyno. I think if you, if you're going to keep competing and you, and you feel it coming, you've got to get rid of it. Yeah, no, for sure.
for sure. So, so your journey into classic deal, have you got some time frames that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we've both been quite open. I've, I've applied for the Arnolds again mm. um, and pleaded <laughs> to, for him to let me in and, and in the hope that I will be able to redeem myself from last year. And I was obviously very apologetic that I couldn't. Um, so I would absolutely love to do the Arnolds. So that's sort of when the, the prep is sort of aiming for. Um, so I guess it will start in a couple of months' time. Um, What's your limit, Joe, weight-wise for that? So I think at the moment, as my, my height stands at the moment, it's 104. Um, I think with an inversion table, I might be able to get out to like 106. But honestly, I think I'd be under 104 anyway. Um, I've never done any weight manipulation or anything like that. I've never done the sort of classic weight drop. So I can imagine my weight could probably get down quite low, which is quite um, uh, quite sort of uh, encouraging. But um, maybe not too much, maybe not too much under. I was 98 this year. Um, 98.3 was the lowest I got to during that prep. So I'd expect to be maybe 101, 102 this year, maybe, um, which is pretty big, I'd say, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Wear, wear a double pair of socks, Joe, when you measure in. Two pairs of socks when you measure in. Spike uh, that hair up. If you would have had the long hair, you could have combed it back. And Yeah, could have done. Yeah. Two pairs of socks. Right, right, exactly. But no, that's, that's great, man. It'd be great to see you on that stage at the Arnold's. And, and what an incredible place to make a classic debut, man. Like, that would be, yeah, immense. Yeah, fingers, fingers crossed. We'll see if they let me in. I hope, I hope so. I hope I'm not upset. I think it's April. I think the invite's come out in April. I've done yeah. it off, so we'll see. Yeah, no, good luck, man. I, I hope that all goes well for you, bud. But, yeah, no, that's, that's great, Joe. I really appreciate your time, mate, and I'm, I'm conscious of the time. Um, if people want to contact you, Joe, for uh, advice on training, do you, are, you, are you doing posing coaching, Joe, or is you just still doing just the online just, coaching stuff? Yeah, just just coaching now. I, if I, to be fair, I send anyone for coach for posing to um, Isaac still. Mm, yeah, um, but yeah, no. Contact me is just at Brightman underscore on on Instagram. That'll be that's where I'm most active. So awesome. But Joe, thanks ever so much for your time. I really appreciate it, mate. Um, and as I said, I'm sure the listeners got something out of this for sure because I did as well. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Cheers, mate.